Welcome to Unpacking Autism with Rena Anand, the podcast where stories are shared, hearts are touched, and we grow together in empowerment to help our autistic children thrive. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Unpacking Autism. And as usual, you're going to love this one. I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to Catherine Angridge today. Catherine is a principal optometrist at Moorfields Eye Hospital, and she's got a wealth of clinical experience in pediatric and adult refraction and low vision, glaucoma, external diseases, and general ophthalmology. She's the lead optometrist for the pediatric service at the hospital. And since qualifying with a first class honors degree in 2007, Catherine's gone on to complete the College of Optometrists Professional Certificate in Pediatric Eye Care and the Higher Certificate in Glaucoma. She's also a registered independent prescriber and holds a postgraduate certificate in healthcare leadership. Catherine enjoys seeing patients of all ages and making them feel at ease. And she has a special interest in the provision of eye care for those with learning difficulties, carrying out eye screening for those in special needs schools and setting up clinics for adults with learning difficulties. And I was really keen today to bring Catherine on because it's not easy navigating unfamiliar spaces without autistic children, whether that's the dentist, the doctors, or going for an eye test. And Catherine's got a wealth of experience in this area and is going to be sharing with us today some tips on how we can navigate this journey with our children to make it as stress-free as possible, both for the child and for the parents. So I'm hugely grateful to you, Catherine. You are an extremely busy lady, but, you know, and not just at work, you've got your family and all sorts going on. So thank you so much for taking the time out to share with our parents and carers and listeners some of your experience. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. So I'd love to hear, you know, I think if we just talk a bit about you, what, what is it? What is it about this area that's that's of particular interest to you? Um, well, I think it's just the fact that vision and eye care is just so important in a child's development, their learning, not only that, but just, you know, their general well-being, their happiness and their enjoyment of the world around them. It's just so key to make sure that their vision is, is as good as possible. Mm. And I'm really keen that eye tests are, you know, just as accessible for um, children with learning difficulties with autism so that they can have the same opportunities and and you know reach the same potential as everybody else mm. and yeah and, I, and I've seen obviously firsthand you know different um, children attending the clinic so it's really just super rewarding to you know to, to see the children and to give them the care and to, to put them at ease um, so if I can, if I can impart any of that knowledge, then that's great. That sounds amazing. It's so admirable. I mean, I can only imagine the different challenges that, that might present themselves when you have children who, you know, they might be afraid of the environment. I mean, hospitals by in their nature look quite clinical, can be a bit scary, so much equipment and, you know, the, and managing that to be able to even conduct a test. But as I loved what you just said there about, you know, by looking at and correcting and supporting their eye health, that actually opens up so much more of their world that they can participate in. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not just about being able to see, it's about so much more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Their education, 
and as I say their well-being if you could see the world around you what more of a joy is that (laughs) if you go on a walk and you can see the birds in the trees and you know it's uh you know everyone should have that opportunity yeah absolutely so from your experience what are the most common difficulties that you see when you have autistic child patients um, and you know in terms of getting them tested and and helping them become comfortable with the environment mm. well you've kind of you've already touched on it really it's a lot of it is just that unfamiliarity and that uncertainty of what it involves uh it, you know going to a completely new place whether that's an optician's practice or a hospital as you say somewhere quite clinical that can look quite scary with all the machines and and bits of equipment you know we we have to do certain tests that include bright lights which um you know often children aren't keen on and we have to get quite close up in some cases um to actually look at the eyes as well so just that general kind of invading the child's personal space that's Mm. quite um, tricky sometimes and even just simple things like having to ask a lot of the child, a lot of cooperation, ask them a lot of questions. You know, we have to explain everything quite easily and simply to the child, especially when they're when they're autistic, so that they get a grasp of what we're actually asking them to do. So, so yeah, there's quite a few kind of obstacles there already. Yeah, absolutely, and and it and I suppose when you look at that compared to. I, th- I think there's always an element of either interest or curiosity and possibly fear when you have a neurotypical child, mm. but the sheer number of layers of potential triggers for a meltdown, I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of quite ripe for a child to be highly distressed if they are, I mean, the things you just listed now is thinking of Evie, the lights, the being in his, in his face, kind of the, um, the questions. I mean, he would ask, I remember taking him and I mean, opposite end of the body it was his foot but he he was asking everything he absolutely grilled the um, podiatrist about his qualification to touch his feet before he would let him anywhere near them but obviously but Evie's also able to communicate that and a lot of autistic children Mm. might not have the language yet to even be able to articulate communicate yeah exactly so how can we overcome, what sorts of things do you do to help parents and the children feel at ease in that environment, either before they attend the appointment or even during it? Well, I think preparation is key. So it's all about kind of talking to the child about what's going to happen, maybe even take them to the building if it's in, in a local opticians, just say, oh, that's where we're going to go. Maybe even inside and just sort of say hello to the, the staff that are there. Um, so that they're all a bit more familiar on the day uh, when they go back for the eye test. It's not as scary. There's there's lots of resources that you can look at, which actually uh, are kind of created for uh, children uh, with learning difficulties or with autism, which actually shows you the journey of what happens in the eye test. So mm-hmm. it's put very simply in sort of pictures and, you know, pointing out, you know, that we'll use a light and we may need to get quite close to look at your eyes and sort of preparing the the child and the parent, you know, what will actually happen on the day so they can kind of talk through it Mm. um, and and kind of, you know, prepare for it. Mm. Um, So there's a really good couple of resources. There's um, 
on the seeability.org website. They, they're a fantastic uh, website um, and they have lots of resources on, on a link there. One of those is called Having an Eye Test. So you can either look at that on your tablet or you can print it out. And it's actually got, as I say, all these pictures of what to expect um, on the day. So you can actually familiarise the child with it. There's even a Peppa Pig episode <laughs> where Peppa goes to get her eyes tested. Uh, so even something like that, just to make it more fun um, and uh, and um, and show what's going to happen. Even simple things like just practicing wearing, putting on glasses at home because we might we might want to put the glasses on to put the lenses in mm. in the eyes. So you know, uh, having a little play with mum or dad's glasses or putting some sunglasses on just to get used to the feel of something on the face because a lot of children autistic children especially don't like actually things going on their face so if they're prepared for that to happen and used to it then that's really helpful and the other thing that I uh, thought of is if you um, are coming to a sort of a busy hospital um, for an appointment you could have the sunflower lanyard mm-hmm. so just for the um, for people with hidden disabilities they're great so just kind of it's a really visible sign. Oh, actually, you know, we might need to just give you a bit more time and a bit more space um, while, while you're kind of in the hospital. We have sort of helping hand stickers that we put on, you know, individuals' notes that might need a little bit more time, a little bit more care, just as a, a visual um, sort of trigger for us to know that that person needs a bit more help. So it's that, it's that sort of thing, really. And then we, you know, we can do things like, you know, we can make sure that it's a quiet time of the day that we're seeing the child. One of our clinics here, we have this sort of dedicated to children with um, special needs. We do that in a different part of the hospital where it's really, really nice and quiet. There's no other kind of, you know, children and families sort of milling around. It's just them. And so it's a lot less stressful and you're not going to be sort of waiting for really, really long times, getting very anxious. You're going to be seen sort of promptly. Things like that will always help as well. And sometimes we just have to, you know, we, we don't get all the cooperation in one go. We just bring them back another another time. It's not worth absolutely terrifying the child the first time and then they don't want to ever come back again. You know, we, we sometimes bring children back again yeah. to complete some of the tests just because, you know, it's just so much better all round in the long term as well just to keep their kind of happiness and their confidence of coming into the hospital yes lots of things (laughs) that's amazing I think and you know just thinking because I use even now I mean Evie's nine and I still use social stories to for any place we're going to whether that's visiting family or whether we're going we have an appointment it just helps him mentally prepare for the place he's going to, which is which is somewhere he's he's not been either before, he doesn't go to regularly, and he feels a little bit more in control. So it's wonderful that Seeability have got that. And for anyone listening in, I'll post the links to the resources that Catherine's just mentioned um, in the show notes. When it's wonderful to hear like the quiet space and things, I think parents would find that really reassuring. Um, obviously, not all patient parents will be have their have their children as patients at Moorfield. So I think. You know, would you agree that perhaps if there were any, if there was anything that a parent would feel would benefit their child, that they should feel comfortable in approaching the hospital setting or the optometrists that they're visiting 
to just share anything that they can do that would help make that visit a bit more comfortable for that child? Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really helpful. And I work in private practice too, in, in, an, in an optometry shop, you know, so I work in that setting as well. And that's really valuable there as well. Mm-hmm. And, and often you can, you know, sort of dedicate things and, and tailor things a little bit better almost when it is in, in that setting. Yeah but it's not quite as busy and quite as chaotic as a hospital. So yeah, the more information we can get, the better. There is, I think, I think again, it's on the Seeability website. There's also a form that you can fill in uh, on there. It's called About Your Child and Their Eyes. And that has just really key information about what you're concerned about. And also, as you say, any triggers that we've got to be mindful of when we're doing the eye test. Yeah. And that's really good. You can actually fill that in and just drop that off at the, at the practice before you have the eye test. So they've got all that information even before you step through the door on the day. And, and then, it, it, you know, it just saves time. So you're not having to sit there asking all the questions. You mm-hmm. can just get on and, yes. and, and do the tests and yeah. just, yeah, just focus on that, yeah. uh, which, is, which is much better if you only have a limited amount of time to get Uh, you know the cooperation Mm -hmm. yeah information is amazing that's that's what we want (laughs) definitely I I think parents will find that really reassuring to hear because I remember in the early days feeling like that anything I was asking um was almost burdensome like I was I was actually creating you know more work for whoever it is that I was visiting but from what you're saying essentially it's actually making that whole visit not only go smoother it actually is helping the practitioner um because they can ensure that whatever they can learn in advance they can they can familiarize with and then just get on with the actual task at hand yeah you kind of already know what you really need to check because what your concerns are so you know what to hone in on with, with your tests and also, you know, what you have to be mindful of mm. that not going to hopefully trigger, you know, a meltdown yes. uh, by, you know, being aware of what can actually trigger the mm. child. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's really helpful. Sometimes, you know, the, they might book a double appointment or something like that. Um, so there is a bit more time mm. uh, if we know all these things in advance. Yes, that's that's really helpful. I was just wondering, is there is there a correlation between autism and vision? Um, is 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 there anything that talks about I don't know late late later diagnoses of eye issues, or or do we find that children who aren't able to express that they can't see very well that you know maybe through a process of elimination it's later discovered maybe that they have a, a difficulty you know with their vision. Yeah, definitely. Both of those things are correct. I mean, a lot of sort of autistic behaviours can actually, you know, present as a result of a visual problem. So poor eye contact, excessive blinking, head turning the head, rubbing the eyes, all these sorts of things you can assume are just because the child is autistic, but actually they've got an underlying eye problem. They can't see very well, so they're rubbing their eyes or, you know, they've got hay fever, so they're itching them. Or, you know, various things could be, yeah, you could have a, have a, a glasses prescription that, they're, you know, they're trying to really blink and sort of focus. Yeah. So we, yeah, we need to make sure we're not kind of just overshadowing things and assuming it's the autistic behaviour mm. when it could be, you know, down to a problem with the eyes it's themselves. Yes. So definitely there's that 
there's that element. And yeah, I mean, research would show there is definitely a link between a higher incidence of certain things with autistic children. So things like strabismus, which is where the eye turns in or out. Uh, you may have heard the word squint. So that that is thought to be from research about 25 to 50 percent higher incidence in children with autism and that can lead to the eye getting lazy if it's not picked up and it's not treated properly in those early years Mm. also uh, there's definitely a link between a higher sort of level a higher incidence of spectacle prescriptions in children with autism and that sort of links in with evidence that they that a lot of autistic children have a have a sort of weakened um, near focusing which we call accommodation so one study showed that one in five autistic children had this uh, sort of lag of near focusing so they weren't able to maintain that focusing when they were looking at you know their toys and things close up Mm. Um, so you know obviously that's going to definitely impact their you know their learning their vision you know everything so it's really important to yeah to Mm. to pick things up so that they can be treated before they you know run into any problems you know it's I think something like 80% of learning is supposed to be from the vision so Mm. if you can't see well and you can't focus up close you know, you're really going to struggle yes. and you already may have, you know, other elements of problems, you know, to, you know, with learning other barriers. So you don't, you don't need vision getting in the way as well. Yes, so yeah, it's really important to, you know, to check it. It's very simple to just have a quick look. You know, we can literally just have a quick look with a light and mm. a couple of lenses and get an idea of whether there is, you know, something that we need to investigate further. So it doesn't take long to get an idea of, you know, whether there's anything, you know, that needs looking into a bit more and needs treating. Yeah. And for any parents out there who whose children, you know, aren't under um, a hospital or, you know, receiving any treatment for their eye care uh, for their eyes, would what's a good frequency for them to be asking for their child's eyes to be tested? Um, well, the NHS will do um, eye tests um, on the high street for any child under 16 for free. Mm. Uh, and generally under 16, the, the review would be once a year. Unless there's any concerns, we would obviously follow up sooner. Generally, um, I mean, things you're looking out for earlier, you know, if there's any family history of a squint or a lazy eye, mm. so an eye turning in or um, someone in the family having to wear a patch, yes. then it's always worth um, that needs treating. before the age of about eight because the vision is kind of locked in by then so if there's anything like that in the family high glasses prescriptions from very young age then it's a really good idea to get a test sort Mm. of on especially if you've actually noticed an eye turn or you know you notice your child get really close to stuff or complain of you know anything then you know those are kind of things to look out for as we said already sort of rubbing the eyes as well Um, as a rule I think kind of reception age is a good age to have an eye test you know sort of age four Mm -hmm. most high street opticians would be um, would be happy seeing a child from school age if it's less than that Mm. um, you know if it or if um, if the child isn't able to sort of name pictures Mm. or um, letters then it 
would be and you have a concern then you would need to get a referral to the hospital mm-hmm. to have the test done you know we need to do kind of more special specialist tests so that would be done you know you just go to your GP and you get a referral but yeah g- generally as a rule sort of school age uh, and, and up and, and once a year mm-hmm. and and with the example you just gave where they're not able to label um, say letters or pictures say, say for the child is pre-verbal are there mechanisms are there ways that you can still check the eye health of that child where they where they can communicate in an alternative way to with you yeah absolutely so um so we can use even if they're non-verbal we can test the vision by using we call it preferential looking so the theory is that a child would always rather look at a picture than an empty space mm-hmm. so we hold them cards and the pictures on one side and an empty space on the other side and then you're just literally looking to see mm. you know side they, they look at and whether that's correct and then you get gradually smaller and smaller pictures so you can still get even in children you know that aren't verbal you can get a, a measurement of the vision in that way another thing we do which parents can do at home which is really helpful is um, just cover one eye at a time and if they really, you know, they're not bothered with one eye and then you cover the other eye and they really, you know, absolutely hate mm-hmm. it, that's a sign that there's a, quite a difference between the two eyes. Yeah. So if that if that's something that you notice, again, that needs to be seen in the hospital because, mm-hmm. you know, there may be something going on, maybe some glasses treatment needed or some patching mm-hmm. like that. But, yeah, there's lots of tests we can do without, um, you know, without sort mm-hmm. of actually having any sort of communication um, and actually looking at the health of the eyes in the hospital, we have a special kind of headset that we can use to to actually, you know, just have a very quick look. And we can see kind of the whole snapshot of the back of the eye all in one go, super quick. And as I said, for the prescription, just looking with a light, literally just holding up some lenses. Again, not, you know, having to ask them, is it better with one or is it better with two? Yeah. You know, it's all objective. It's all looking. So, so yes, it doesn't matter if, the child uh, you know has limited communication we can still get a really good handle on their vision their prescription their eye health all of these things yeah I think that's fantastic and I think hopefully that will provide a lot of reassurance to parents who might be wondering you know how they could even get their child's eye, eye health checked if you know if they're not able to communicate that so that I think I think that will actually um, really help parents to hear that so thank you for that um I think that's been really helpful to share what you know what parents can do in advance um, and how what accommodations can be made in hospital and optometry settings to help that experience just flow a bit more easily for everybody involved. Um, did you have anything else that you really wanted to share or that you'd like parents to take away with them in, in, in relation to this topic? Uh, no, I think I would just say, you know, if you have concerns, then obviously um, just don't be scared to have an appointment, to have a, you know, to see the GP and ask for a referral. There are obviously tests that we can do and we can make accommodations, you know, for the child. And, and yeah, it's, it it can be made as, uh, you know, as hopefully as good an experience as possible. A lot of children just think it's when they actually have had their eye test, think it's really fun. Um, You know, they get their sticker, and you know we've had a little look with some pictures and they've played a game and we've tested they've brought their teddy bear in and we've tested their eyes Mm. and they just think it's great and they 
you know, they realise that it's not anything to be worried about and then, you know, they will come back again. Yeah. So, yeah, I would just say don't be scared and and, and seek out, yeah, and ha- have the eyes checked, whether that's in hospital or that's in, in the high street in practice. So many things can be picked up. It's really important, um, especially in, you know, the early early stages before the age of eight because that's when everything's kind of fully developed. So, uh, and the earlier the better to get them sort of familiar as well. So I would just really sort of advocate just go and have an eye test. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here, parents. Okay, look, as Catherine said, um, 80% of our learning is through what we see. So let's, um, if, you're, if your child's not had an eye test yet, or if you've been worried about taking them because of their autism and because of how they sometimes may react to a new environment, please don't let that put you off. Please reach out to your nearest optometrists and see how they might be able to help you make that experience one that isn't going to be traumatizing for your child. But certainly we need to be on top of it. And we know that, you know, our our children just need a little bit more careful handling, but we want to optimize the environments for them so that they can thrive. And, you know, we have to make sure that they get their eyes tested and all their other health checks done so that they're in the they're primed for success whatever that success looks like for them so um you don't have to listen to me but you've heard it from Catherine um <laughs> who's uh, highly highly qualified in this in this space um Catherine thank you very much indeed um yeah. I think that's been hugely informative and I think parents will find that really reassuring too that's great and if you get any questions I'm happy to answer them if anyone contacts you yes Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Unpacking Autism with Rena Arnand. Podcast artwork by Creative Stripes. Editing by Adam Jones-Lloyd. And music by autistic musician Paul McGowan.